morning. Good to see you this morning. I am glad that you are here. You have been an encouragement to me already. A lot of smiling faces. We got to sing together. The singing sounds great. Smiled together around the table. Hey, this is interesting. Two people met me with a holy kiss this morning. So somebody was paying attention last week. And this is even more interesting. My wife is not here today. So this afternoon, she's going to call me and say, what happened at church? Funny you should ask. Glad you're here. Maybe this will sound familiar to you. Guy goes into a dentist office and he says, Doc, you got to help me. I think I'm a moth. The dentist looked at him and said, um, you don't need a dentist. I think you need a psychiatrist. The guy said, you're probably right. The dentist said, so why'd you come into my office? And the guy said, well, your light was on. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. But have you ever felt like you've been drawn to something? Maybe you can explain it, maybe you can't, but just something about it, just it kind of draws you there, or more, more uh, uh, probably you've been drawn to someone, right? Maybe you can remember being drawn to someone, those of you who are married, dating, wish you were dating. Remember a time when I just, I, I wanted to be around that person. It's fun, they're exciting, they're... They're kind of fascinating, and you just wanted to be around them, right? Jesus has always drawn people to him. People have always found Jesus interesting and exciting and fascinating. I think sometimes we delude ourselves into thinking that we have to be the attractive ones spiritually. You know, we draw people, but it's not us at all. It's not me, it's not you, it's Jesus. He's the one with the answers, and he's the one with the direction and the purpose. As we saw last week, he's the one with the power. And speaking of power, we're going to talk about power this morning. We're working our way through the book of Acts. We come to Acts chapter 19, and really for the next two chapters, we're going to see the Holy Spirit come front and center in our journey through Acts. Now, the Holy Spirit has been very active through the book of Acts. But in chapters 19, and really in chapter 20 as well, the Holy Spirit is really going to be on display. And I think it's pretty neat that we are talking about the Holy Spirit today, just as our ladies are gearing up for the ladies' retreat on the subject of the Holy Spirit. Now, I would like for you to think that that was months of meticulous planning by me, that this confluence of my teaching and their retreat fall at the same week, right? I would like you to think that, but that would not be true. I think the Holy Spirit's probably involved here as well. But I do want to personally encourage you women to take advantage of the ladies' retreat. You really need to be involved in what's going on this weekend. It begins on Friday. It runs right through next uh, Sunday uh, class time. It is not too late. If you haven't signed up, you haven't made plans yet, it is not too late. Tomorrow will be too late. They've got some things they've got to finalize and some numbers they've got to get in, but today is still not too late. 
You can sign up and be a part of that, even if you can't be there all weekend. Go to as many sessions as you can. Don't let that stop you. I know you're busy, and I know the end of the week is always hectic, but make that commitment. Even if you say, well, I can't really come up with the money right now, I get that. Sometimes just everything happens at once and it's just hard to, you know, to, to put together some, some money at you know, a particular time. There are some scholarships available. Do not let that stop you from attending the ladies' retreat. Uh, there'll be some ladies at the table out here in the lobby. They can answer all your questions. They can help you uh, get uh, fixed up, hooked up, signed up. Take advantage of that. And by the way, ladies, I want you to know we're praying for you this weekend. We're, we're praying for your weekend. This is a big deal. This is important. You ladies need to be there. Us men, we need you to be there. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We need you to show us what a life led by the Spirit looks like. So take advantage of the opportunity this weekend. Okay, public service announcement over. Let's get into Acts chapter 19. Verse 1, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. If you have been here very often, you know that we take the act of baptism very seriously. We put a great deal of importance on baptism because we believe that baptism is more than just some symbol. It is an invitation and an initiation into a new life, a new existence, a saved relationship with the Lord. We believe that when we put on Christ in baptism, we also receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, all the blessings and all the power that that includes. So Paul goes to Ephesus, and he meets some disciples there, and he realizes something's not right. Something's kind of off with you guys. Yeah, you ever been around a situation where you think, okay, something's not quite right here. Something's kind of off. I was watching Netflix last week, and I got an error message on my TV that said, something's not quite right. You know, I need a little bit more specific information than that, okay? But have you ever been around things that it's not quite right? Those fireplaces that don't put out any heat, that's not right. You know, something's not quite right. But Paul pretty quickly understands what's not quite right here. He understands what's missing. And Paul understands it's not a what that's missing, it's actually a who that is missing. Paul says, do you all have the Holy Spirit? And they say, no, we don't even know what you're talking about. We, we don't even know what the Holy Spirit is. And then notice the very next question that Paul asks. What kind of baptism did you receive? You see the, the connection there? Because Paul knew baptism wasn't just some symbol. Paul knew that God does something in baptism. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, 
the very first gospel sermon that Peter preached. Peter told the people, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul would write in Titus chapter 3, He saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. Now, if you were to ask a first century Christian, do I need to be baptized? They wouldn't even understand the question. That that question wouldn't make any sense to them. Because in the first century, there was no such thing as a follower of Jesus who wasn't baptized. Because baptism isn't just some symbol, it's an invitation, it's initiation into a new life and a power-filled life. You know, we keep talking about being a witness for Jesus. All this year we've been talking about being a witness for Jesus. And we've been talking about that because Jesus talked about that. If you remember, we started this study in Acts, back in Acts chapter 1, where Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We can't have a powerful witness without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. On our own, we can't have a powerful witness. Remember, Acts is kind of the second volume in a a two-volume piece by Luke. He writes two books. He writes the book of Luke. And then he writes the book of Acts, both to the same person. The book of Luke is all about the life and the ministry of Jesus. But if you remember, he begins his second book, the book of Acts, this way. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Both books were written about Jesus and what he's doing in the world. And yes, Jesus' work on the cross was finished. But Jesus' work in the world is not finished. So he's commissioned us to be his witnesses. Witnesses to the world. But listen, the witness is pointless if the witnesses are powerless. And I hope you understand what I'm saying. Our witness is pointless if we as witnesses are powerless. Paul would say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. But the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. The kingdom of God is a matter of power. So Jesus sends us into the world to be a witness, which, come on, that's kind of a scary thing, right? I think we can all agree on that. It's a little bit uh, intimidating. But it's not nearly as scary if we understand the fact that we have been sent as witnesses with a power behind us. We're going to see over and over again that all the powerful circumstances before us and all the powerful people around us really don't hold a candle to the power of the Holy Spirit within us. So, this morning, I want to take a look at three stories out of the next chapter and a half And I'm going to tell you up front, they're all three kind of weird. There's three sort of odd stories in in these next two chapters. 
But there's a common thread that runs through these three odd stories. And the first is in chapter 11 of Acts chapter 19. Here's what Luke writes. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. God is working through Paul so powerfully that his handkerchiefs and his aprons and the things that he has touched and used are taken and given to sick people and those sick people are healed. That's some power. Reminds me back in Acts chapter 5 where people were positioning the people that were sick and lame and hurting so that Peter's shadow would fall on them and they were healed. You know what was normal in the first century church? You know what was just, they, they understood without someone explaining and telling them? They saw as normal the fact that Jesus had power over sickness. They just knew that. Nobody had to convince them of that. Jesus has power over sickness. They believed that because they saw it. And they believed it because they experienced it. We believe that God still has the power to heal and to cure and to rescue. I believe it because I've seen it. Nobody has to convince me of that. Now, you look at the life of Jesus. If, if you take away the teaching of Jesus and just look at what he did, so much of his time and so much of his attention was focused on people who were hurting and sick and struggling. Now, is it always Jesus' will to heal? No. But I am convinced it is always His will for us to ask for healing. All through Scripture, all through history, we see people asking for healing. As a church here, we pray for healing because we believe in the power of prayer. And we believe in a miraculous intervention by God. It reminds me of what Peter had to say in Acts chapter 10. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. Now you'll notice both in Acts chapter 10 and in Acts chapter 19, Luke, Dr. Luke, differentiates between healing of the body and spiritual warfare differentiates between people who are sick and people who are demon-possessed. Not only does Jesus have power over sickness, Jesus also has power over the demonic. So, I said there's several odd stories in our text this morning. Let's go ahead and look at the next odd story. It is a story that has always fascinated middle school boys, by the way. If you want to have a teenager pay attention, share this story with them. Uh, it's in Acts chapter 19, verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Siva, the Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul. 
but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, if I ever see any of you running out of a house, (laughs) your own or any house, naked and bleeding, I'm going to assume you're having a really bad day. (laughs) These seven brothers are having a really bad day. And the reason they're having a really bad day was they were messing with something they shouldn't have been messing with. They were trying to do something that they shouldn't have been trying to do. And the reason things went so badly for these brothers is they tried to use a name they hadn't surrendered to. Notice that. This is is really big. There is a powerful lesson here. These brothers were trying to use a name that they had not surrendered to. I think that's the reason why some of you are frustrated with your prayer life. Because I think sometimes we try to use a name that we're not surrendered to. It's the Lord that supplies the power. Okay, third odd story. We're actually stepping into chapter 20 for this one. Apostle Paul gets run out of Ephesus, which is sort of a reoccurring theme for him, being run out of places. Ends up in the city of Troas. And we pick it up in verse 7 of Acts 20. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. So did we. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Obviously, the point of this story is if you fall asleep during a sermon, you deserve to die. Okay? It's in there, right? No, I'm joking. If everyone that fell asleep in one of my sermons was dying, I'd be preaching about four people (laughs) right now. But Paul's here, he's preaching a long time. There's this young man named Eutychus. He falls asleep in a window on the third floor. He falls out. He dies. When I was a kid, I was taught how to remember this guy's name. Maybe you've heard this too. If you were in the third story window and you fell out, you'd have cussed too. So that's how you can remember his name. But isn't it amazing that Paul goes down and he raises this young guy from the dead. Everybody's there sees it. He's dead. No, he's alive. Let's go back upstairs. <laughs> we just brought somebody back to life. Yeah, well, I've still got four more points to my sermon. Let's go back upstairs. And they go back upstairs, and Paul continues to preach to the most wide-awake congregation in the history of sermons, right? I guarantee nobody was falling asleep after that. I suspect nobody's sitting in the window after that either. But here's something else that was just considered normal 
in the early church. Nobody had to convince the early Christians of this point. Not only did Jesus have power over sickness, not only did Jesus have power over demons, he had power over death itself. The author of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 2. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Death holds no power over a child of God. We have been freed from that fear by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not talking about someday, somewhere. I'm talking about right here, right now. We have access to that same power that brought Jesus back to life. Paul would put it this way in the book of Ephesians. I pray that you will begin to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us to believe him. Paul says, I pray that you will begin to understand. My prayer for you, my wish for you, my prayer is that you would just start to understand the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe him. And then he says, this is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. The same mighty power that brought Jesus back to life is available to us. We are an empowered community. And what I mean by that is we don't bow to anyone or anything but Jesus. Because Jesus has overcome sickness. And he's overcome demons. He's overcome death itself because he's overcome sin. You should see yourself as dead to sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ. As Christians, we have the power to be what sin has always kept us from becoming. Because the kingdom's not about talk. The kingdom's about power. But the enemy wants to keep you doubting. The enemy wants to keep you afraid. He wants you to settle. He wants you to settle for this version that's sort of uh, boring and lukewarm, uninspired and, and uninspiring version of Christianity. A version of Christianity that's just kind of talk, no power. So I want to ask you a question this morning as we kind of wrap up. What's holding you back? Not what's holding us back. That is not the question I'm asking. The question I'm asking is what is holding you back? Now maybe you're like those disciples in Ephesus who said, um, well, I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's just a lack of an understanding or appreciation of the power of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe you've been going to church all your life. But like those seven brothers, you've sort of been claiming a name that you haven't surrendered to. Maybe you're being held back because of some area of sin or some area of disobedience in your life. And again, you're trying to claim a a name that you're not surrendered to. 
then there's always going to be weakness there until you repent of that. But I suspect that for most of us, most of us, what's holding us back? We've just gotten really good at sleeping in church. We've just kind of got comfortable coasting. We've learned this version of Christianity that's pretty popular in America. We're good neighbors. We don't swear too much. We don't drink too much. We pay our taxes. We go to church every now and then. And we just sort of phone it in. Just talk. No power. But that's not what we're called to do. And that is not who we are called to be. We're called to live this supernatural life. Because we have this supernatural power within us. Now understand, I'm talking to Christians here, okay? If you're not a Christian, this doesn't exactly pertain to you. But as a Christian, I've got the Holy Spirit living in me. This supernatural power. And I've been called to live a life of love and joy and peace. And I've been called to live a life of patience and kindness, goodness and faithfulness. And I've been called to live a life of gentleness and self-control and measures that I could never attain on my own. Fueled by the Holy Spirit. And people see that in Christians. People will see that in your life. That's part of our witness. It's not our whole witness. But that's part of our witness. And people see that and say, hey, how do you guys do that? How do you live that way? How do you approach things that way? And we say, it's not me. (laughs) It is not me. It's Jesus. It's the love of Jesus. It's God. It's, It's the Holy Spirit. That's the power source. Why would we settle for some dull, predictable version of Christianity when... And Jesus wants us to live this grand adventure. And again, I applaud the ladies for your commitment to talk about the Holy Spirit this weekend and challenge yourself, and really by extension challenge all of us, to re-examine how we view the Holy Spirit working in this church and, and working in our lives. And as the ladies prepare for their weekend uh, retreat this weekend, as we all kind of gear up for a brand new week, I've got a challenge for you this morning. It's a pretty simple challenge, but I am really hoping you'll take it. Everybody in the room can do it, uh, but I've got a challenge, and my challenge is for you to pray a prayer every single day this week. It's a simple prayer. It's a prayer that uh, Paul prayed in Philippians 3. I want to know Christ in the power of His resurrection. I'm going to challenge you for seven days to pray that prayer. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. You don't have to expound on that. You don't have to go into great detail. You don't have to try to come up with some you know, religious thought to kind of mix in there. You ladies, as you prepare for your weekend, I want you to pray every day this week. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. The rest of us, as we're getting ready to go back to work and school and all the deadlines and commitments and all the hassles that we face every week, would you pray, I want to know Christ 
and the power of his resurrection. Would you pray that prayer every day for a week? And of course, you know me. I got a card. Uh, there's going to be some uh, ushers, I hope, at every one of the doors as you walk out. There's some cards on the tables if some of the men had picked those up. As you walk up, walk out today, pick up it's the same, the same graphic that's on the screen there. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Would you commit to praying that simple prayer every day for a week? Put this card on your dresser, stick it on your mirror, put it on your refrigerator, dashboard of your car, somewhere where you'll see it every day for a week. I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of His resurrection. Because there is so much more available to us. We are meant for so much more than we are experiencing right now. We're part of a kingdom. Not a kingdom of words. We're part of a kingdom of power. So let's start acting like it. Let's start dreaming like it. Let's start witnessing like it. Let's start living like it. Come on. What's holding you back? As a church family, if we can help you in any way this morning, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium. And we're going to invite you to meet us there. Let's stand and sing.